Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome back to the Reformed Dissenters, the show where Reformed Christians dissent against popular ideas of culture by asserting a biblical worldview. My name is Bruce Johnson. I am joined today, as always, by my brother Jacob Johnson. Hello everybody. And since it's Friday and we're still in November and apparently that's a thing, we are joined by yet another awesome guest. Uh, today we're joined by Keith Daryl, campus preacher Keith Daryl. We're very excited to have him joining us today. Um, and we met him at the uh, Fight Laugh Feast conference in Knoxville, Tennessee earlier this year, a couple of weeks back. Uh, but also, and this applies as well if you're a fan of CrossPolitik, we've heard him on CrossPolitik all the time um, on their podcast and show. And so it's just kind of really cool to be able to chat with him on our show. So it's like, woohoo. All right. We got, we got one of the uh, CrossPolitik celebrities yeah. in house. So it's very exciting. Um, <laughs> so. I'm very excited to let him talk about kind of what campus preaching means and all of that. Uh, we want to talk about apologetics. And since this is kind of part of our series on building a Christian culture, we also eventually want to get into apologetics in the workplace and how can we use those apologetic skills on a day-to-day -day work or a day-to-day -day basis and all of that. So we'll be getting into that whole awesome conversation. So stay tuned, everybody. But before we get into all of that, we have to talk about our verse of the week. I also want to mention that you can check out all of our previous episodes by going to our website, which is trdshow.net. We've got a list of platforms. We're on all sorts of places, Instagram, Facebook. But if you do like free speech and you don't like censorship or communism, don't follow us there. Follow us on Gab and Getter instead. And uh, then you can actually access all of our contents instead of just the censored stuff that YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram want to show you. So we've already been taken down multiple times on those platforms. We've had so many videos taken down on YouTube. So please, please follow us on Rumble and Gab TV instead. All right, so let's get into our verse this week. This whole week, we've been talking about a psalm, and particularly two verses in Psalm chapter 93. So let's talk about that. Psalm 93 verses 1 and 2. It says, the Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old you are from everlasting and again that's psalm 93 verses 1 and 2 so on monday i pulled in a uh, john calvin commentary on this passage shake things up just a little bit from our standard routine today i would like to pull in a matthew uh, matthew henry commentary um just kind of knocking out all the greats in one week um but What's interesting is that Matthew Henry actually takes a slightly different approach to this verse than John Calvin does. So um, in Matthew Henry's commentary, we find, uh, and I'll just have his quote here. Matthew Henry said, he reigns powerfully. He is not only clothed with majesty as a prince in his court, but he is clothed with strength as a general in the camp. He has wherewithal to support his greatness and to make it truly formidable. See him not only clad in robes, but clad in armor. Both strength and honor are his clothing. He can do everything, and with him nothing is impossible. And again, that was uh, from Matthew Henry. One thing that I'll just point out from that quote that I thought was, was really fascinating um, is that 
Matthew Henry says he reigns powerfully. He's not only clothed with majesty as a prince in his court, but he's clothed with strength as a general in the camp. So this is setting up sort of the um, the difference between just a prince who just sits on a throne and is clothed in beautiful robes but doesn't actually do anything compared to a general who is also the king, compared to someone who has not only just a throne and beauty and majesty and glory in his th throne room, but also a general who is working and fighting and leading the battle on the ground, which is what our king is doing. And he's called us to get to work and to fight with him and to do what he's called us to do. So, so this verse, like we said on Monday, like we were saying on Wednesday as well, it should be really, really encouraging to the Christian because... The God that we worship is not a God who has no power. This is the ultimate power in the universe. And so when we go to make compromises, strategic compromises, just for the sake of, well, we just want to win. Like, hey, just vote for the lesser of two evils because we want to win. This verse says otherwise. This verse tells us, no, we don't compromise just to win. We stand our ground because the Lord and King of the universe is on our side and we work for him, not just to win. So with all of that being said, let's get into our discussion with campus preacher Keith Darrell. And I will start with just his bio, just to kind of introduce you. If you haven't heard of him already, I mean, come on, what? But anyways, if you haven't heard of campus preacher Keith, Keith Darrell, <laughs> we'll go ahead and introduce him here. So uh, Keith Darrell is an evangelist with the Whitefield Fellowship. He is a BSBA in <laughs> economics and finance from Miami University. Wow, that is actually really interesting. I didn't know that. Uh, and an MDiv from Covenant Theological Seminary. That I did know. <laughs> he has spent the last 12 years open air preaching on college campuses. He's the host of uh, the Campus Preacher podcast, which is super cool, which actually sometimes hosts. <laughs> sometimes hosts. That's funny. And resides in Moscow, Idaho. Congratulations. Uh, and a member of King's Cross Church. And you can learn more about his ministry at campuspreacher.com. That is quite the rap sheet. That is super cool. So what is what is a campus preacher? And why is your podcast called the Campus Preacher Podcast? What does it mean to be the campus preacher, Keith Darrell? Basically, I mean, so kind of where I, I, I stole, like, what I do is basically, I, I believe, um, I was converted right before I got to college. I saw a guy outside publicly preaching and I didn't have enough theology or philosophy of ministry behind me. So I went home, read the book of Acts, and I realized the apostles were publicly preaching. So the day of Pentecost, they were publicly preaching um, and they were going to the synagogue daily, the marketplace. And then probably one of the more uh, definitive um, elements was the apostle Paul in Acts chapter 17, where he's in Athens. And he, so he goes in the synagogue then he goes in the marketplace and he reasons with the people daily, um, and then he's brought before the Areopagus and presents the gospel to them. So that would probably be one of the main things that influenced me. And then a guy named George Whitfield, uh, the Whitfield Fellowship, which I'm a part of, um, was inspired by George Whitfield, who would preach on Boston Commons and throughout the American colonies and stuff like that. And I don't get crowds like George Whitfield. You'd have 10, 20, 30,000 people listening to him. <laughs> I wish I wish 10, 20, yeah. 30, not that I want to be known, but I wish 10, <laughs> 20, 30,000 would come out. Someday. Someday. But um, yeah. And so what am I doing out there? It's, and it's just kind of an easy way. Like most students just would call you the campus preacher. And so it just kind of made it an easy moniker for what I do. And so, yeah, so the, I'm the campus preacher. And so even when on my website is campuspreacher.com. So if students 
are asking me questions, I was like, hey, if you guys want to follow up with me, just go to campusroots.com and contact me from there. So that's basically uh, how I got there. Nice. Love it. That is super cool. So one of your uh, episodes, I forget whether this was on your podcast or whether it was on CrossPolitik, and I kind of just gave you the mic for a while. Um, but you were talking about how a lot of conversations, you know, we tend to like overestimate. And I'll call it the opposition because it's mm -hmm. kind of what it is, right? We tend to overestimate the the power that they have or the, the mental faculties and the, the, the arguments that they have. When in reality, what happens a lot of times is, is when we stick to our guns, we stick to presuppositional apologetics and we don't put our weapon on the shelf. They tend to not have a lot to combat that super strongly with all of the articulate arguments we would think. What what can you say about that? Like, how would you how would you comment on that? Because I think that would encourage a lot of people. Yeah, I, with that I would just say that your main thing for apologetics is it's, it's kind of like. Uh, if you've never been in a fight, you don't know if you can fight or not. You know what I mean? So you kind of have to go out in the streets and fight a little bit. And once you get into a few fights, you start to really. Yeah. Oh, I think we just lost him. The, the real of it is like a lot of things. You, you kind of have to go out and do it. People like think they're just going to read a bunch of books and learn how to do apologetics. Now, obviously, reading books is helpful. Um, but like, you know, you can read a book about fighting or boxing, but you don't know how to box until you get out there a little bit. So I think the same thing with apologetics and like hearing in real time, people's arguments, people's objections, thinking through how to get there. And the reality of it is like, we really are at a, sadly, at a low point intellectually in our culture. Um, mm. Like even like this past week, preaching on campuses in Southern California, it really is just a lot of people hitting me up with f-bombs and ad hom attacks uh so it's always you're racist wow. you're sexist you're homophobe and those are kind of the the uh unholy trinity of ad homs you know what i mean <laughs> and uh and so that's usually how they try to get you and but what you can't do so i would just as a as a tactic in that don't chase those rabbit holes don't, don't just play by what standard is racism wrong but just like lean in and like just like that's just not true that has nothing to do with the argument and because then they get actually more mad because what they're used to doing is accusing people of being a racist or a sexist or a homophobe. And then once you, you know, kind of just push through, they're kind of left with nothing but kind of more rhetorical bullying because they're used to people bowing at those points. So, yeah, so the, the landscape is this. So I, yeah, I, I would say two things apologetically which you want to be equipped with is an aspect of uh, presuppositional and like what, what's known as a transcendental argument, thinking through like why – God is the precondition for logic, why he is for ethics. Um, but then even on a, on another level, um, read a lot of like Gary Habermas on the historical resurrection of Christ. And the reason that's important is because everybody's a realist. Everybody knows there's history. Everybody knows um, that you're interacting with them and talking to them and even make the unbeliever account for why the early church sprung up. Why did a bunch of Jews start to run around the Roman Empire and say Jesus was resurrected and Lord? So it's kind of like when 9-11 happened, whether you're a truther or you accept the normal narrative, we all have to account for why the buildings went down. Um, and so what's the best what's the what's the best explanation? And I've kind of found that interacting on the resurrection, uh, because the challenge with presup is you since this average person is so ill-equipped in basic logic. They really don't know what you're talking about. You know what I mean? They just think you're being an obscurantist mm -hmm. and being a jerk. Whereas something like arguing for the histori historicity of Christ's resurrection is a little more intuitive to the average person. And so that's kind of that, that's kind of what I've learned over the last couple of years. Is I, I still have pre-sup in the arsenal, um, but it's been a bit more like okay, 
what are these people able to hear? And that's what you realize, man, that people are just so deaf, dumb and blind right now that they're not able to hear much. Um, and so that's kind of the, the one of the main challenges in doing apologetics and doing evangelism is we really are, you know, I, I don't think this is the purpose of Isaiah six, but when God says, you know, you'll harden their hearts, uh, having eyes, they do not see having ears, they cannot hear. And the Lord's going to harden their hearts. I just genuinely feel like we're in a period where the Lord's hardening people. So. Wow. Yeah. That's really interesting. That's really fascinating to know. Um, yeah. Well, I'll pass it over to Jake. Cause he had a, he had a question about uh, workplace. So, you know, we're, we're kind of in the middle of a series right now on building Christian culture. And part of that is obviously you're going to have to work with unbelievers. You're going to have to work with people who don't share your, your values, your principles, who don't agree that the word of God is the ultimate standard for life and everything that that entails. Um, so uh, his Jake's question, I think, is something along the lines of how do you deal with those sorts of people when they ask you questions or when you need to confront them? Something like that, I assume, right? And, and really, it's more of just wanting to evangelize the people that you work around. Mm. And how do you bring something up that like that up? Or at what moments would you bring something like that up? And how do you do it in such a way that doesn't turn it into a debate? Because our, as you're saying, our modern society, I feel like in workplaces, once you get into uh, argument, people... Um, kind of shut down yeah. and they stop listening to what you want to say. Instead, they just want to attack you as a person. They go to their So corner. how, how do you do that and evangelize people without getting to that point? Yeah. Part of, part of the difficulty when you're in the workplace, because like, so I did work in finance from 2005 to 2010 in New York city. And so living in New York city, they were kind of ahead of the curve. If that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like HR was pro gay. Mm. 20 years ago when I was, wow. when I was working 17 years ago, I guess is when it started. So yeah. they're pro gay pro, you know, everything but Christianity. You know what I mean? So all the, all the wokish stuff was already there. Um, and so what I kind of found is, and you know, you have two things. First of all, me debating over the cubes is not the answer. You know what I mean? So me dragging numbers on a spreadsheet and lobbing a bomb at my Mormon neighbor is not the answer. So, um, <laughs> But the little things you can do is when you do go into work every Monday and someone asks you what you did over the weekend, mention, oh, and I, I went to, and yesterday we went to church and just kind of, you just kind of, because that just becomes, oh, he's the guy that goes to church. And what was interesting to me, so I had an advantage when I was in uh, finances, I had re a seminary on my resume and then I'd also mention I went to church. So those two things mm. made people know I was like the religious guy. So, but <laughs> with that, like people yeah. would come up and ask me questions because of it. So, um, and so, yeah, if you just said I went to church and then it'd be amazing how many people are like, Oh, I grew up going to church or whatever. You know what I mean? And it just kind of lets the door in. And then once they brought it up, you know, this was oftentimes like say in an elevator or you're getting a cube or you're getting coffee, uh, in between work and you just kind of have a brief conversation and then you ask them the lunch or you ask them about the dinner afterwards. And especially in the workplace, um, I, you know, like I, I mentioned earlier, um, one of the inspirations for me doing what I was doing was the book of Acts, but I don't think that's necessarily the normal Christian life. Not everybody is called to be an open air preacher. Um, and even if you read like Corinthians and Colossians, uh, Paul's kind of encouraging them in their lot of life to basically, you know, if you, if you have the ability to get free, get free. Um, but I don't think everybody is 
called to do the same level of evangelism, if that makes sense. Um, but you are still called to witness to Christ. So I would just say it's, it's very basic things that you can do day in, day out. Um, it is bring up, you know, I go to church. Um, and then even another thing that happened to me once, I remember a girl texting me on Easter and I just text her back. He's risen. So in this instead of texting her back, happy Easter, I just text back, he's risen. And so the next day when I get to work, she's like, uh, can we have lunch? And I was like, sure. And then that down, <laughs> like, are you one of those born again Christians? And I was like, <laughs> and then I was able to just lay out the gospel for the next uh, hour while we had lunch together and stuff like that. So those are the, yeah. those are the things you're looking for. And for me, what I'd be listening for is, is what opportunities does your neighbor give you? Because there is a sense which you're there to work. You're not there to you know, like I, I remember somebody asking a, a Mormon and I while we were working, what's the difference between you guys? And I was kind of like, hey, let's get lunch because that's not the context to have that discussion. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I'm there. Yeah, yeah that's a good Yeah, point. I'm there to work and I'm there to honor my boss with my work. And um, and so within that, you know, the natural discourse is you have little conversations, but it's not the place to have a 30 minute discussion. So I just say, look for those opportunities of like, what are people saying? What are people asking? And then even from there, when people are discouraged, um, be an encouragement to people. Uh, be yeah, make sure you're loving. Be there for people. Uh, the best thing you're going to have in the workplace is a consistent uh, character. Don't be a gossip. Don't be a slander. Um, and those mm. things are hard. They really are. And because one of the things I realized when I was working in finance is um, there's already always somebody there that had some attribute better than me. So there's always going to be somebody who outworked me. There's always going to be someone who talked less than I did. There's always going to be somebody who is happier than me. You know what I mean? So like, I remember thinking like, oh, as a Christian, I'll go into the workplace. I'll be real salt and light. You kind of get there. And there, there's that's yeah. I, I think I was more well-rounded than a lot of people. But if I took the attributes that I thought would shine, it's like, oh, that person clearly does be that better than me. And I think that's one of the yeah. things is, is that strand. So it is like, watch your mouth. Don't gossip. Don't slander. Um, don't laugh at lewd stuff. And, and that's hard because you're there day in, day out. You feel like a prude. Um, but those are the things that are going to give you an opportunity to, to share the gospel with people. Um, yeah. And, and so, yeah, mo make the most out of lunch, make the most out of dinner opportunities um, and, and spending time with people outside the workplace. Um, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Um, you were kind of touching on this, uh, kind of closer to the end of that uh question um how how powerful do you think unapologetical unapologetic christians are um and that whole mentality so what what do you think of it and how how powerful and how yeah, yeah how powerful yeah, yeah i think i think it's i i think when you have conviction what when so if you're if you're a Christian in the workplace, your responsibility is to take up your cross. And if you're taking up the cross, you're going to have God's unflinching holiness and God's infinite grace kind of being carried in you. Because if you look at the cross of Christ, you have the love of God, you have the grace of God, you have the wrath of God, and you just have the holiness of God. And you're called to take up your cross. So I would say the person who's able to go into his workplace and you know the law came through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And if you could be unflinching in your in your environment where you're infinitely gracious and unflinching in the truth, that's the best apologetic. That's the, like, people are drawn to that because mm. there, there's none of that in this age. And you think of even like, you know, the, the rise of the manosphere over the years, the last few years, like part of that is because you have a bunch of guys who just like kind of braggadocio. You know what I mean? And as Christians, we're not braggadocio, but we should be unflinching. And what's been interesting to me over the last probably three years and COVID kind of shut me down for a while, but I've received a handful of emails 
and even text messages of people who heard me on campus. And their witness was, I've never seen a Christian unflinching in the face of evil before. And so our best bet is to be unflinching, but yet also gracious. And I do think that's where the winsome folks go wrong. Um, because people know, the, yep. people know what the Bible says. They know homosexuality is wrong. And for us to spend 30, like, we don't have to be jerks. Like, so I'm a little bit rambling, but like when the Pharisees would come to Jesus to catch them in a trap, um, Jesus had wisdom to get out of it. So when the world comes to you to catch yeah. a trap on homosexuality or trans, have some wisdom in dealing with it. Um, but yeah. so you don't have to throw a bare knuckle punch every time that issue comes up. But right. the idea that you can sit there and massage the answer for 45 minutes and it's going to be more acceptable than, yeah, the text says it's wrong. You're just, it's just yeah. more fruitful. So, yeah. And, you know, part of that too, what's interesting is you, I think it's a matter of perspective. It's remembering that you're not the one who's going to change their mind, but it's the Holy Spirit that works in them to change them. So you're planting a seed. And then other people will water, other people will tend, and eventually it'll grow into something. But you may just be like a step along that process. And I know for like for us, that's that's hard because we want to see the seed grow. We want to see a massive tree by the time we're done, uh -huh. you know. <laughs> mm -hmm. But but it and it's tough because also part of that is well, we want to plant the seed properly, and we we want to make sure that oh, we have the right words, and we do you know. And part of that's important, but. I think also so often we can forget that we're not the ones who will actually change their mind and, and heart. Yeah. And, and a key thing for us. So when you're, when you start getting the reform stuff and so, you know, you, you guys, if I understand right, grew up in the faith, um, right. You guys grew in yep. a Christian home. So, yep. so I grew up in a very marginal, like we're white Americans. So of course we're Christians. You know what I mean? Like sort of home. And uh, <laughs> I was converted at That's 17 funny. and I knew nothing. You know what I mean? I knew nothing other than I was a sinner wow. and somehow Jesus died for me. I didn't understand substitutionary mm. atonement. I didn't, I just knew I was a sinner. Wow. I'm broken. Somehow yeah. this yeah. Jesus has the answer. And I clung to that. And I do think that wow. oftentimes reformed people were trying to get people to like a 400 level of conversion right. rather than just like real simple. Like the woman, uh, the woman at the well goes back to town, the man who told everything about me. And so as, as reformed Christians, because we're in, interested in worldview, like your neighbor at work, like you don't have to convince them of homeschooling on day one from to become a Christian. You know what I mean? And I do feel like we often, yeah. we often put forth all these, that is all true. this worldview stuff. And what they need is, is the confession. What they need is a change of lordships. And once they change kingdoms, you think of somebody immigrating to the United States, they're truly an American citizen, but they may know nothing of the constitution. They know, may know nothing of the history, but they're American citizens. And now the issue is how can we mature them? Similarly, someone immigrates in the kingdom of God, they're newborn babies. They're not 400 level theologians. And I think the reform, oftentimes us reform people, myself included, when I'm preaching on campus, I want to bring people to a certain level that I was not at when yeah. I was converted. And it took me six years to get there. And I often want to get people there. Yeah. So I, 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 that also just to encourage you guys that like, you don't need the magic words and there is no, you, you, oh, I have to give them everything at once. Like, the issue is real basic understanding of even a basic understanding of sin. Like when people are like, I'm broken. Uh, and that's even one of the things that communicates on campus is like, I don't care if you're, I will say, I don't care if you're right wing, left wing, Republican, Democrat, you all know there's something wrong in the world. And they're all like, yep. You know what I mean? And they all agree. Yeah. And so the question yeah. becomes, what, what is that problem? And what's the solution? Uh, the, the, the problem is actually your heart and sin. The solution is Jesus. And yeah, a lot of people are not going to know the fullness 
and you know, even if we're honest with ourselves, do we really grasp the fullness of the cross? No. Um, and so anyway, we need to be comfortable giving people newborn babies milk and not yeah. worry about getting them up to speed with Bavink and whoever Calvin and all these people on day one. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, and that's a really good point because I think in the church a lot of times we are talking to people who now need the meat. Mm -hmm. We are we talk a lot of times and we're surrounded by people who are ready for that, but we forget that they didn't start that way. They they started and they do need the milk. Like there is a time, like you know, Paul. Well, presumably Paul in Hebrews is talking about you know there's a time when you needed the milk, but now you should be teachers. You should be people who need the meat but there was still a time for the milk so yeah that's that's really good to yeah well, keep in mind. so i live in so, moscow now and one of the things kind of a lot of people have moved there congratulations uh, yeah a lot of people have moved there what's kind of funny is i kind of joke when i meet people who have moved there i they're it, almost it's a similar testament I, I was in a mega church then i stumbled across rc sproul then i came across doug wilson you know what i mean there's a very clear progression of how people got there yep. and a lot of them started yep. off in churches that we would have a tough time encouraging someone to go back to you know what i mean and um so yeah. we just need to keep that in mind as we evangelize. Like there is an element of keeping it simple. Jesus is Lord. He forgives sins. And we should feel comfortable presenting that to people. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So we got a, a few minutes left. So my question, what I'd really like to know is when you're when you're out there, I'll use the analogy, you're on the front lines, as it were. Um, you kind of fighting that fight and you're you're facing opposition on a level that I think a lot of Christians on a day-to-day -day basis maybe don't face to that extreme. Um I mean the indoctrination on college campuses is just outrageous and the 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 I don't know if arrogance is the right word. I, I think that somewhat explains it, but you know these are the people who have reached a point in their life in their life I think we've all been there where it's like I know all the things there are to know, you know, and then it's just at the point the peak where it's like you realize, oh my goodness, there's so much more to learn. Mm -hmm. But you're at that peak where. So, anyways, all that to say, what what would you say is advice for maybe people who are in that situation or similar situations where they work in a very liberal company or, or they're surrounded by these people all the time who are extremely antagonistic? How do you stay encouraged, especially when your brothers or sisters in Christ aren't the kinds of people that would gravitate towards that, and they're just like, oh, why are you being so pushy? Why are you, you know? How do you stay encouraged when even the people surrounding you who are Christians who are supposed to believe the same way are like telling you to back up? Yeah, you, that's a great question because that is kind of the hardest part at points. You have, um, yeah, so, so you realize that in the kingdom of God, there are still weeks and tears. And so whatever church you're going to go to and whatever people you're around, and that's, a, that's not to write off young Christians. Um, but one thing for me to keep in mind, there's the kingdom of God is filled with wheat and tares. Uh, the other thing, and this is probably a big change for me. So when I was younger and I'd preach on campus, I'd push back pretty hard to the people who'd give me pushback. Uh, but I've kind of reached the point that it's kind of like, almost like the priests, the, the preachers in Israel are not doing their job. And so the people are ignorant uh, to who God is, what he's done. Because oftentimes, once I begin to lay out uh, the scriptures, so even, for example, the other day I was preaching and a guy who's involved with a, a certain ministry came up to me and kind of complained about my preaching. And we just kind of raced through the sermons in Acts, and I asked him, does this sound like your preaching? And he said, no. I was like, do you think it sounds like my preaching? He was like, yes. And I was like, all right. So so, so what we're trying to do here is, <laughs> is how, how are we biblical in what in what we're preaching and teaching to the world? And and so like yeah. and so like a guy like that, what he needed, he didn't need a strong rebuke from me. He needed to go through the scriptures and kind of like be shown in the scriptures, like here's what's going on, because it is. It's like it's like a lot of things. Like when you're you know, 
even even if you're you know in the reform camp, we have some blind spots, and then we get out of it, and someone calls us out on it, like man, that is a blind spot. We aren't always like say hospitable, whatever it is. Um, so I would just say that's one of the things. Keep in mind that we have our blind spots, but oftentimes the people that we're interacting with who who are discouraging to us. I think they are believers. They don't need a strong rebuke. What they need is an encouragement in the actual scriptures. Many people simply. Yeah. Shoot. And I think we just lost him, but that was some really good stuff for sure. Yeah. I would just say oftentimes people, so many Christians, just think of like what you have, you guys, you know, have been raised in the faith and you've been given good doctrine, good stuff. And so the question becomes, I I think oftentimes young believers, American believers just simply have not been taught well, and they need to be encouraged. So if you if you read First Corinthians, Paul has people from that church visiting temple prostitutes, and he's going to them saying, "Hey, don't you know you've been purchased, uh, and your body now belongs to Christ? How can you unite them with temple prostitutes?" And so often, what we need mm-hmm. to do is go to these uh, younger people um, and people who have not been exposed to good doctrine, and just ask some questions and encourage them actually in the doctrines of grace. And in these things, and what you'll find is oftentimes people are like, holy cow, we didn't know that was there. So a lot of a lot of the pushback I yeah, get yeah. is because their pastors are simply giving them milk week in, week out for years, and they they simply don't know better. And I show up on campus and I'll say something that's biblical, but they just they simply don't know it's biblical. So that's that's kind of the challenge. Yep. So yeah. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we really appreciate it. I think Jake has one last question and then we're going to, we're going to wrap up. Um, just, you know, it, I hadn't fully fleshed it out as a question, but <laughs> just the whole idea of Ephesians six twelve saying that for our struggle is not of this world. Sorry, our struggle, I'm mixing verses. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against power, uh, against authorities, powers and principalities, you know, the whole, that whole idea. Um, how would you say that relates to the workplace and talking with the people in the workplace? Yeah. So um, one of the things that is central to our spiritual warfare is telling the truth. Satan's a liar. And so the people in your workplace, while they may not be fully satanic, they have bought into satanic lies and the doctrines of demons. Mm. And so when you begin to interact with them, and you start to share the truth, you are going to be get met back with anger because they they believed lies and you're trying to undo the lie. So um, realizing that, like, you know, when I was growing up, Satanism was kind of this thing where someone's head would spin around, they'd vomit or something like that. Um, but Satan prays as an angel of light. And so the person yeah. in your workplace who is usually the most progressive it's all moral connotations. Look how open and diverse and loving and blah, blah, blah. And you come along yeah. and you're, and you kind of go, you, you, you have to push back on their righteousness. And that's, that's always where all hell breaks loose in, in sharing the gospel is when at the end of the day, we're calling someone a sinner and they need to repent. You know what I mean? Like, so the person in your workplace who is yeah. so convinced that their progressive politics is salvation and you come along with the truth and you undermine that, so there are two things. So I said that to say this. There are two people in your workplace, generally speaking. There's the woman at the well and the woman caught in adultery who the lies that they've been given, 
you're telling the truth to them is to counsel them, encourage them, comfort them, build them up in the faith. And then you kind of have your pharisaical, satanic, self-righteous person, and your truth is to strip them of their righteousness. So the way, and that's even what um, the sword of the spirit is, is the way Paul in Ephesians 6 kind of carries out that warfare. And that's what you need. You need wisdom in dealing with the word of God of, okay, who's the person before me? Are they a self-righteous Pharisee? Or are they actually a humble sinner who's been, you know, they're, they're like a sheep without a shepherd. Um, and, and how do I minister to that person? So that, that's what I would say that that kind of applies yeah. is what you're thinking through is the truth is the main weapon in our warfare in dealing with Satanism. It's not casting out demons. It's not territorial spirits. It's being people of the truth. And that goes both ways. Like that deals with comforting someone who's been abused and lied to. And so they do, they ha- are, have a totally warped view of themselves because they've been lied to for 25 years or, you have someone else who's been lied to that they're the most amazing person that has ever reached the earth. You know what I mean? And they're simply not, they're average. You know what I mean? And then, and, and that's why they melt down when yeah. things don't go their way. Cause they think they're amazing and they should be. And so anyway, that, that's how I think yeah. that applies. And we go in there with the sword of the spirit and the truth. And we uh, seek to encourage or rebuke people with the truth. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, Keith, thank, thank you so much for joining yeah, us. Yeah, Sorry for the glitches uh, really along the way, man. I, yeah, that's, that's all right. Hey, the audience yeah. will never know. <laughs> it'll, be secret. it'll be our secret. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Thank you very much, guys. Well, it was, it's, yeah, it's been a great conversation. Honestly, super encouraging for us. Uh, very practical too, which is really good. And I think our audience is really going to appreciate, um, especially in this series that the, all the other conversations we've had, this really kind of clinches it all together and helps us get to our next interview and next set of concepts. And so this has just been wonderful to, to chat with you. So thank you yeah, so much. Yeah, you bet. God bless you guys. Um, and so your website is uh, uh, campuspreacher.com and people can find your podcast there yeah, as well? Yeah, podcast. Uh, if you go okay. to any of the search engines, you punch in pe- Campus Preacher for um, podcast, you'll find me there. Campus Preacher, I have a phone number and a contact form. So if you want to reach out to me, you can go there and uh, I'll, I'm not always the most efficient emailer in history, but if you reach out, I will, okay. I will respond if you reach out. So awesome. Fantastic. Great. Well, thank you so much. And we're looking forward to having you hopefully on the show. Yeah. Again. Let, let me know. I'll be a little more stable next time. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> sounds <laughs> great. Thank you all. Yes. Yes. And we will definitely chat with you later. Um, thank you all so much as the audience for watching or listening to us. Don't forget trdshow.net is a show website. Send us an email trdshow at protonmail.com. Thanks again. And remember everyone in all that you do, do it as unto the Lord.